Good evening, this is Dr. Dan Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 24 June, 2023. This is going to be lecture number 85 in immunoepigenetics. We are going to talk about the role of cholesterologenesis and epigenetic interlocutor in certain leukemias. So let me uh, remind you a few things before we talk about that particular pathophysiological consideration. Let's start off by just describing mevalonic acid pathway. That's the de novo pathway for cholesterologenesis. And an exposure to an understanding of T-cell-mediated immunity. Okay? So we'll start off in the general and get specific. Signaling through the T-cell receptor serves as the paradigm for how a cell surface receptor can translate an extrinsic cue, which is usually an antigen presented by an APC, into subcellular responses. Those subcellular responses occurring in the T-lymphocyte. Now, the metabolic regulation of T-lymphocytes as a consequence of TCR stimulation is a topic that has gotten a lot of attention. It's well known that T-cell activation results in a metabolic reprogramming. You've heard this before on this podcast. And that reprogramming involves distinct T-cell functions. Therefore, the metabolic pathways involved seem to be directly associated with T-cell activation and not just subsequent to that activation. So in contrast to resting T-cells, which of course pursue efficient accumulation of ATP, the activated T-cells must ensure an even higher metabolic flux through anabolic pathways to acquire a specific molecular repertoire because you're going to be doing cell division. So surveillance is one thing that T cells will do, um, especially in association with antigen presentation. But the more important thing that we think about with T cells is their activation to then perform an acquired immune response via usually an inflammatory cascade. So we talked about this before. Now we're going to key in on it one more time, but from a point of view of lipids. A stimulated T-cell will shift from oxidative phosphorylation, mitochondrially based, to aerobic glycolysis, which is much more inefficient for ATP synthesis. Yet that shift will meet the requirements, the bioenergetic requirements, because Glycolysis can be fed and enhanced simply by turning on a higher rate of uptake of glucose. And because these lymphocytes, you see lymphocytes are in circulation, there is typically sufficient amount of circulating glucose to use that as the primary bioenergetic carbon source. Okay. Now, you will recall another very important. Um, bioenergetic carbon source in 
T cells and indeed in tumors comes from amino acids after transamination reactions generating up keto acids. And we'll get into that as well in this, uh, in this discussion. So an interrupted <laughs> TCA cycle will yield acetyl-CoA being generated in the cytoplasm. Remember that? Because of the ATP uh, citrate uh, lyase reaction. So if the, if the TCA cycle is interrupted because of high levels of NADH, citrate will leave the mitochondria and because of the ATP citrate lyase reaction will generate acetyl-CoA and oxaloacetic acid in the cytoplasm. You remember this. So what's the acetyl-CoA necessary for in the cytoplasm? Well, you know what it's for. Lipogenesis, both fatty acid and then ultimately glycerol lipid and sphingolipid as membrane lipids and signaling molecules, but also cholesterologenesis, right? Okay, prenal lipid synthesis. So you're going to have a diverse uh, array of now de novo biosynthesized mevalonic acid pathway metabolites. These are going to be a whole group of diverse classes of sterile and non-sterile isoprenoid metabolites. And we, we will talk about them. Now, as it turns out, mevalonic acid metabolites <coughs> have been shown to regulate T cells at many different checkpoints both as a cell intrinsic and a cell extrinsic metabolic pro forma cue. So quiescent T cells, like any other non-proliferating cells, will demonstrate relatively low levels of glycolysis and rather than that, will fully oxidize glucose through pyruvate or fatty acid beta oxidation to generate ultimately acetyl-CoA for the TCA cycle. Now that process will either complete oxidation of glucose running the TCA cycle or beta oxidation of fatty acids generating acetyl-CoA and reducing equivalence in the mitochondria. Either way, you're going to get a lot of oxidative phosphorylation, right? ATP synthesis from electron transport chain, right? Because of buildup of NADH and FADH2, from beta oxidation, or just from running the TCA cycle, going through the dehydrogenases, starting off with acetyl-CoA and oxaloacetic acid coming from pyruvate, which means glycolysis in the cytoplasm, and then the full TCA cycle and the mitochondria. Right? So either fatty acid oxidation or glucose complete oxidation is going to be functioning normally there. Now, that process will drive oxidative phosphorylation and it will maximize the total amount of ATP that can be generated from either fatty acid or glucose. Now, in contrast to that, activated T cells have a substantially increased demand for metabolic bioenergetic intermediates because they have to perform effector functions, plus they have to accumulate sufficient biomass for cell growth expansion, this is now the lymphocytes, and ultimately daughter cell generation. That means cell division, right? 
So upon the T cell receptor stimulation, beta oxidation is reduced and glucose and amino acid transporters are increased on the T cell surface. That will facilitate circulating increased uptake of bioenergetic precursors, glucose and amino acids. Now, transcription factors C-MYC and the estrogen-related receptor A, which are increased in abundance during the T-cell receptor media activation, play a major role in controlling metabolic reprogramming in the T-cells. Although activated T-cells still engage in some oxidative phosphorylation, that is ETC, oxidative phosphorylation mitochondria, glycolysis becomes an increasingly significant prevailing bioenergetic pathway, even in the presence of molecular oxygen. I've said this many times. It's kind of like a Varberg event in these, TCA, in these uh, T lymphocytes. And so we call that not Varberg, we just call it aerobic glycolysis. Okay. But it is the Varberg as we see in tumors. Now, long been thought that the metabolic demands of T-cell proliferation enforce some kind of signaling phenomena to induce the switch from typical mitochondrial oxidative phosphorylation, including beta-oxidation of fatty acids, to simple, discrete aerobic glycolysis, generating all your ATP just from the cytosolic aerobic glycolytic path. Now, why wouldn't you continue to run a TCA cycle even if you're using glucose and amino acids? Remember, what's happening with the activated T cells, they're gearing up the cell division. And what does cell division require? Well, it requires DNA replication. It requires a great deal of de novo protein synthesis and a sufficient amount of lipogenesis to generate new membranes. Because you're, develop, you're generating a new cell, right? It's mitosis. It's cell division. All right. Now, we've talked about this you know, many times. This is a litany, right? Now, proliferating cells, glycolysis-derived pyruvate will enter a TCA cycle, either as oxaloacetic acid via the carboxylase or as acetyl-CoA via pyruvate dehydrogenase. It'll, those two uh, intermediates will then combine to form citrate, and citrate will be exported from the mitochondria to the cytosol. And as I just suggested to you, because of ATP uh, citrate lyase, you generate acetyl-CoA and OAA in the cytoplasm. Now, that way, acetyl-CoA is increasingly made available not only for fatty acid biosynthesis, but also for mevalonic acid metabolism, which is the the, the more correct name for cholesterologenesis, because it involves that stable intermediate mevalonic acid, as it was first described when the pathway was being um, pulled apart by Conrad Bloch. Now, the diversion of citrate for biosynthetic purposes bears the risk of collapsing the TCA cycle. So the T cells avoid this by increasingly using glutamine oxidation in concert with glycolysis to fill back up anaplerotically the TCA cycle. So the TCA cycle can still function, right? 
So glutaminolysis represents a metabolic shunt, of course, that converts glutamine into glutamate and then alpha-ketoglutarate, which will move right into the TCA cycle. Now, in addition to this reductive alpha-ketoglutarate, the reverse of which occurs in the TCA cycle for subsequent synthesis of citrate and then acetyl-CoA in the cytoplasm of activated T cells, you can also use that alpha-ketoglutarate to fuel the mevalonic acid pathway. And that can occur preferentially under increasingly hypoxic conditions. Now, the hypoxia can occur because of the stress response associated with slowing down via vasoconstriction the vascular system during that stress response. That's so another thing that happens globally um, when, uh, when the acquired immune response is kicked in. You get a decrease in circulatory oxygen levels. And so all the metabolic grids have to be able to perform without oxygen. Hence, glycolysis is always there, even though we call it aerobic glycolysis in the Warburg effect or in these lymphocytes. Understand that glycolysis does not need oxygen. Right? And neither do those anabolic pathways, cholesterologenesis and fatty acid synthesis. Now, desaturation needs molecular oxygen, but that's further down the road. And there's always plenty of molecular oxygen if you consider the whole cell, right? So remember, glucose is taken up via glute transporter, converted to glucose 6-phosphate, then 3-phosphoglyceric acid, phosphate to pyruvate, then the pyruvate, then the lactate, or pyruvate in the mitochondria to acetyl-CoA. And of course, as I said, some will also bleed into the uh, oxalacetic acid. You make citrate, citrate leaves the mitochondria. Um, it generates acetyl-CoA and OAA. Acetyl-CoA then is used to make mevalonic acid. Mevalonic acid, the pharnacetyl pyrophosphate, and the pharnacetyl pyrophosphate is the precursor of all the other isoprenoid pathways or directly to cholesterol. And I just told you that alpha-ketoglutarate coming from glutamine uptake, conversion of glutamine to glutamate, glutamate via the transamination reactions or dehydrogenase, decarboxylation, decarboxylation of glutamate to make alpha-ketoglutarate, that alpha-KG can enter the mitochondria, or you can have that reductive carbonylation to make citrate in the cytoplasm, further feeding acetyl-CoA production because of the ATP citrate lines. All right, let me check my time here. I hope I'm not blowing past, I think. Oh, no, not at all. Okay, very good, very good. I, I want to make sure I go slow enough here because I want to make sure I get all of this um, discussed. Now, in murine T cells, TCR, that is T cell receptor stimulation, is sufficient to induce the expression of the genes encoding HMG-CoA synthase and HMG-CoA reductase. Those are the two very significant early stage in the pathway enzymes to run isoprenoid synthesis and cholesterologenesis. Okay. Now that has also been demonstrated in human cells. So now I want you to think about a paper discussing acute lymphoblastic leukemia. 
Now, this is a paper that was published uh, in March of 2022 in Cancer Discovery. Now, we talked about a lot about these leukemias not that long ago, but I'm just going to recap. Acute lymphoblastic leukemia, these are called T-alls, are highly proliferative malignancies. And, of course, they require a superactivation of anabolic pathways to support cell growth and division. So they're going to need a metabolic activation, just like we were talking about, for normal T-cell amplification, but even more so because this is a lymphoblastic leukemia. It's going to be generated even more of these cells. There's both B-cell and T-cell type of lymphoblastic leukemias. Yes. So that means you're going to have to turn on even more bioenergetics and more redox potentiation. So there's a redirection of anabolic mechanisms that are necessary for that highly proliferating early lymphoid progenitor cells. At the same time, you're, you're reorganizing all of the metabolic circuitries downstream of the actual driver oncogenic transcriptional event and associated signaling such that you get an enhancement of anabolic output. That's going to be a lot of AKT activity, mTOR activity for protein synthesis. And that will then have to bypass all of the typical cell growth control checkpoints because you also have to have cell division. Right? This is particularly acute in acute lymphoblastic leukemia, of course. So metabolic reprogramming in B lymphocytic precursor acute lymphoblastic leukemia, shortened, just known as B-all, has been shown to be linked with the loss of two really important transcription factors in that system, the PAX-5 and the IKZF1. Those are developmentally important B-cell lineage or terminal differentiation of the B-cells that get halted in this B-cell leukemia, okay? So that means something has to block that transcription factor expression. Now, what did we just talk about? How there's the on-off system in the innate lymphoid cell progenitors because of epigenetic reprogramming at the chromatin nucleosome histone level in association with DNA. Right, that is correct. That's why I'm bringing this back to you. Now, T all right. That's now the T lymphocyte uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia is actually metabolically dependent on oncogenic signals from a constitutively active. Now, here we get into protein synthesis: bacitylinositol, three kinase, AKT, mTOR going all the way through the transcription of the genes necessary to drive the proteins, PI3 kinase and AKT, as well as the mTOR pathway. And that starts way back at the oncogenic switch known as NOTCH1, right? Just so you understand, because that's been a target pharmacotherapeutically in TL. Now, all those observations suggest that there's a lineage. There you go. Remember the lineage-specific NILCs? Lineage-specific transcriptional and signaling context. And that's going to be generating cells of origin-related 
epigenetic, epiregulated landscapes. And so you're going to get a differential epigenetic modification to generate the profile that will lead to these leukemias. This is the argument, right? And what do you think you're going to be, this is going to involve? Well, whenever you have a leukemia, you're going to have increased nucleic acid biosynthesis, increased protein synthesis, sensor truth, which is plano translation, lipid biosynthesis, all significant in leukemia cell growth and robust division. So the classical nucleotide biosynthetic pathway inhibitors, like the antifolates, and the protein biosynthesis inhibitors, like L-asparaginase, are indeed pharmacotherapeutic paradigms in T-all. And now, again, you can presume that's because of the requirement for DNA replication and a very august gene expression system in lymphoid cancers. Okay? Now, besides genomic replication and protein synthesis, those leukemias will require de novo membrane lipid synthesis. This is obviously something we've been we've been um, knocking into again and again and again. So now we're back to it. This is interesting the way we're putting it together with the epigenetic, right? The epigenetic profiling, specifically of altering nucleosomal shuffling because of histone modification, altering transcription factor ability to bind to the cis-acting element on the DNA to drive expression of the early transcription factor transcription so that you can turn cells into multiple lineages of T helper cells. In this case, uh, T, T cell leukemia is also in this case, and also the innate lymphoid cells, right? Okay. So transcriptomic and genetic studies have suggested that these ETPTALs, okay, which are, which are much more um, um, dangerous type, a much more dangerous immunophenotype than just TALL, okay? They're much more dangerous in terms of the leukemia. I want you to understand that absolutely, okay? So what I'm saying here is that these ETPTALs are a distinct group of immature T-cell leukemias that represent a very poor prognosis. So the ETPAL group is defined by a characteristic immunophenotype with a distinct gene expression pattern, and it's indicative of the very early arrest in T-cell development. Remember, a lot of these cancers, that's what it is. It's an arrest in terminal differentiation, right? So what they do is they stall the ETP all uh, type leukemia. There's a stalling at the neoproliferative state and then further replication at that point. So the expression programs of those leukemias are indeed more closely related to those of human hematopoietic stem cells and myeloid progenitor proliferation, as we were just covering. Now, convergently, mutational profiling 
of those tumors, these ETP-all tumors, has suggested a significant profile that characterizes on a certain level of oncogenic signaling and epigenetic regulation. Okay. So given the distinct genetic and transcriptional profiles of ETP-all versus T-all, and all the characteristics that we see downstream from that, including an impaired response to therapy, the role of lipid metabolism came from center. So what we're saying here is lipid biogenesis is a unique pathocontributor to the ETP leukemia. And you get a selective dependency of these high-risk tumors on mevalonic acid pathway corruption, which can lead to isoprenoid biosynthesis and cholesterologenesis. So mechanistically high-risk ETP all cells are dependent on cholesterol biosynthesis to support all the oncogenic signaling and apparently and appropriately the transcriptional circuitries that activate CMYK expression. So this now we're going to be talking about the expression of CMYK which is, of course, an oncogenic transcription factor, okay? Because it's talking about a leukemia. So the mechanism involves a pre-programmed, cis-acting, epigenetic regulation of chromatin accessibility at a distinct ETP-all-associated long-range MEMYC transcription factor enhancer region, right? All epigenetically regulated. There appears to be a molecular link then between de novo cholesterologenesis and epigenetic regulation of leukemia cell proliferation. Now, let me see how much time I have left. Yeah, we're good, we're good, we're good, okay. So I want to remind you, so this is the cholesterol, okay? So right, you need to pinpoint where we are in the metabolic pathway. Starts with the condensation of two acetyl-CoA molecules. That forms acetoacetyl-CoA, okay? Now that enzyme is the, is the, uh, the ACAT, that is acetyl-CoA acetyltransferase. It's also actually a thiolase type 1 enzyme, right? Now, the reaction of the two acetoacetyl-CoA molecules catalyzed by HMT-CoA synthase allows for the formation, ultimately, of 3-hydroxy-3-methylglutarol-CoA, which is subsequently reduced to mevalonic acid by that statin target, HMG-CoA reductase. And you need to have two uh, molecules of NADPH, and those are going to function, of course, as cofactors, right, uh, for the ultimate synthesis of mevalonic acids, why this pepper is named this, from HMG coenzyme A. So it's all thioester chemistry, because these are lipids, right, you're building. So remember, you start off with two acetyl-CoA's, make acetoacetyl-CoA, acetoacetyl-CoA, which is four carbons, reacts with acetyl-CoA, and that makes the six-carbon hydroxymethylglutyl-CoA. Okay. All right. Now keep in mind that that gets reduced to mevalonic acid. Now, final thing. Let me see if we've got time for this. Oh boy, there's a lot to cover. I will just tell you that 
we're going to talk about this study in the next lecture. But what this study is going to show is something rather um, contrarian to what you might think when I'm telling you that cholesterol metabolism is necessary in that more aggressive ETP um, leukemia as opposed to the T-all. Because it's going to be, we're going to be talking about an intermediate in that pathway I just went through that's going to build up, not a typical intermediate, it's going to build up sufficiently to block one of those reactions in the very early stages of uh, cholesterol genesis and isoprenoid biosynthesis. And I want to slow down and go over that very carefully because it's a very interesting uh, mechanism. So I'm going to stop here. Um, this is Dr. Dan Guerra on the 24th of June. 2023 saying bye for now.